morning. How about Merry Christmas? I'll tell you what, it sounds weird to me to say Merry Christmas right now. I think December has flown by. Do you feel that at all? Like I have said it only a couple of times. I don't know what's happened, but I looked at the calendar this week and I went, oh my goodness. Like today, we're, we're a week away. And I, I absolutely have no clue how this has happened so quickly. I know this, I love Christmas time. It's always been my favorite time of the year. It's my favorite holiday. It's my favorite time to celebrate with you guys. I hope next Sunday, if you're around, if you have family in town, you'll join us for Christmas Eve. We will not do our 10.30 a.m. service next Sunday. If you show up, it will be dark and lonely. I don't want you to experience that. Come at 3.30, and we're going to have what is honestly my favorite Christmas, my favorite service that we do all year long is our Christmas Eve service. And so I would love to have you here. I'd be glad for you to join us and make that a part of your evening and part of your family celebration. I'm thrilled about it. But I also realize this, when it comes to Christmas, as I've thought about you and I've been praying for you this week and I've been praying for you in Christmas this week, I'm aware of how this season, the Advent season, is complex for a lot of us and it's layered it's not just one thing. And I was talking with Lori about the, this week, and she had just read an article that really got to the heart of what's been on my mind as I've been thinking about you and about Christmas time. And so she forwarded it to me, and I want, I want you to hear this. Just, I think this is really profound. It says, Advent is preposterously human with a pregnant teenager and a loud cousin and complicated in-laws and a married couple trying to make sense of it all, culminating in a messy, screaming, exhausting childbirth in a barn. It says, oops, sorry for the spoiler. It's also, it's also preposterously spiritual, personal, and communal. That's the beauty of Advent. We live in expectation on every conceivable level, and even on some levels we can't even conceive of. And that's why Advent changes everything. And listen to this. Advent does change everything one way or another. I feel like there didn't used to be much space for non-approved emotions during Advent or Christmas. You know what I'm talking about here? We could feel as much love and peace and joy and hope as we wanted, but nothing negative. And lately, though, I've noticed more people accepting blue Christmas services, gaining in popularity as pastors and other planners grapple with the number of people for whom the season is incredibly painful. And for many, the pain has already happened. Maybe it was losing a close friend or some dear loved one around Christmas or the pain is present and future. Friends of ours are facing the possibility that this Advent might be the season that they lose a dear loved one from a medical condition. They don't know. Maybe they'll live. Maybe they'll thrive. But either way, they're living with the weight of expectation. And in a way, all of us are. So this Advent, I want to remember that while some are expecting joy, others are expecting pain. And that's the messy human reality that Jesus chose to enter into. I love this line. He knows our pain because he experienced our pain. Oh, come, oh, come, God, and be with us. Spiritual, personal, and communal. And yeah, always messy. I don't know how many of you connect to that immediately on a deep level. Some of you, you, I know you do, and I do on some levels, but I know that it's deeply true, it's profoundly true for every one of us that there is a kind of pain that comes with expectation. There is a kind of pain that comes with waiting on satisfaction for something that you're hoping for. And even for Christians, even for us, there's a kind of hopelessness that can creep in between Jesus' first coming and his return, his second coming. 
And it's a thing that we wrestle with and that we struggle with. Something that challenges our hope in the days that we live together on earth. And I want to give you a definition of hope to kind of chew on a little bit this morning. Hope is the expectation of blessings. You hear that? Very simple definition. It's the expectation of blessings and the confidence that something better is yet to come, that the best even is yet to come. But how many of you know that while we wait, that hope can begin to erode? Can't it? In the waiting, that hopefulness that may be birthed in us in certain moments can begin to fade away. And some things, even the promises of God that we believe and that we sing about and that we tell others about and that we cling to with our, our dying grip, even the things that we hang on to so tightly, those things can begin to be challenged while we wait. And sometimes they just feel really far away from us or like it's impossible that the promises that we've been given in God could be realities in our life, that we could actually taste and see the Lord is good on a Monday or on a Tuesday. And so this morning, what I want to do is look at a very traditional Christmas passage, one that you're very familiar with. You read every year, at least once a year, if not multiple times during this season, you read this same passage. In fact, as I read it, probably you could finish some of the sentences just from memory before I say them out loud because you're so familiar with them. You, you know this story so deeply, and yet I think there's a really profound way in which is very relevant to us. We can relate to it in particular ways in our own day, in our own lives. And I want to do this. If you grab your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 1, I want to ask you to try something this morning. I want you to pretend as if you've never heard this story before. Because we become so familiar with it, it's possible we miss in, in all of the occurrences of what's happening, when the angel comes to Mary and says, you're going to have a child, we go, oh, yeah, 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 I know that story. I saw it on Charlie Brown Christmas. Linus says it on the center of the stage. It's a beautiful moment. But this morning, as I read Luke 1, just try this. Try coming to it as if you've never heard this story before in your life. Maybe even put yourself in the shoes of the people way back then who had no conception at all of God coming to earth. And just pretend like this is the very first time and you don't want to miss a moment of, of what is this strange thing that I'm hearing about right now? So you've got Luke 1 open and I'm going to read it starting in verse 26. There's this woman who hears something that is good and yet she struggles to have hope in it. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. He was of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, the angel said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was perplexed at this statement, and she kept pondering what kind of a salutation this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you'll bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary looked at the angel and said, How can this be? For I'm still a virgin. And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, Mary. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason, the Holy Child should be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son in her old age, and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now 
Listen, if you never heard it before, that's an amazing story. Like there's this one woman and she's young, and, but she loves the Lord and she, she has a fear of God. And this being, this creature, like nothing on earth appears in front of her and begins talking to her. And it, just put yourself in her shoes, like what that moment must have been like for her, like the fear of the unknown. Like, am I going absolutely crazy right now? What, like this can't be happening. I, what did I eat last night, right? And she's here and she's getting this word and the words are, are frightening and fantastic. He says, you're going to have a child. And she says, I don't get it because I'm not married. I'm, I'm a virgin. They can't be like that. And he says, no, no, it's going to happen because God is going to do this thing. God, the Holy Spirit, almighty God himself will overshadow you with his power so that the child that will be born, it'll be unmistakable. He'll be called the son of the most high because he's God's own son. It's an amazing story if you listen to it in that way. And I think we forget how amazing it is, this thing that God has done in this moment and the thing that Mary was experiencing is so fantastic in the sense that it's, it's wonderful and it's completely weird. It's just this, this amazing thing. And yet I think that as wild as it seems, that I think we all probably can relate to Mary in various parts throughout this story. Not with an angel. Not, I mean, if you have a great angel story, I'd love to you know, hear about it. I probably shouldn't have said that. I'm going to hear about it this week, right? There are going to be angel stories emailed to me this week. I'm ready. Bring them on. I don't know that we've had that kind of experience, and yet in some way, most of you have had a personal word from God, right? In the sense that God has shown himself to be real. He's not just some story. He's not just some distant thing that's mystical and people have thought about, but he's a person, and he's made himself known to you in his sovereignty and his reality and his kindness and his love for you. He has made himself known to you in a way that you go, it's unmistakable. I know that God is there. I know that it's true. I know that he's real. And you, in some way, many of you have received the good news of Jesus come to earth to save and to redeem all of the broken things, all of the hurt things in your life. You've received that good news. And yet day by day, as you wait on his return, as you try to sink your teeth into the promises of God, things in your life are also dulling your senses to the hope that those things could be a reality for you and for me. And I look at the introduction where Gabriel shows up and he says to her, greetings, favored one. And Mary is perplexed, it says, or troubled, or very troubled, even it says in verse 29. And that feels like me more often than not. Remember, we talked about this last week. I struggle, we struggle with the idea that God loves me. I can accept God loves the world. I can accept that God is love and it's perfect, but, but I don't feel like this favored one of God because of insecurities and doubts and, and, and all of the spiritual warfare with an enemy who doesn't want me to believe these words about myself, that God loves me and that he knows me and he still loves me in spite of all the wrong things in my life. God has said to you, you are my favored one. I love you and I am I'm with you. And Mary gets this from Gabriel, and it says she's very perplexed at this kind of a greeting. And I go, yeah, me too. I get that, Mary. And then what Mary gets next is the presentation of the gospel and all of its beauty and power. And verse 31 through 33 says that Jesus will leave the heavens, and he will come to earth, and he'll be born, born as a human. And he'll do so so that he could be with us in our pain, so that he could share with us in our experience, that he could bear our burdens 
so that he would know what it's like to walk through this earth and experience a distance from what he has always known, the glory and the beauty and the peace of heaven. He could relate to us in that so that he could pay the price for our sins, so that he could remove all of the things that separate us from God, that he would come and he would live for us and he would die for us and he would resurrect for us and then he would establish this forever kingdom where all things are made right and there's no more sin and no more consequences of sin and no more troubles and no more pain. And Mary gets this gospel from Gabriel, the evangelist angel, and she receives it and then she responds to him not with this closed-minded doubt, but instead she looks at him and she says, at the same time as I receive this, she says with an open-minded curiosity, with a wonder, with an honest human doubt, verse 34, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And her question on the surface is, it's just a practical one. She says, Gabriel, I don't know how things you know, what, what you guys talk about in heaven, but <laughs> that's not how things work down here, right? I don't know what your picture of things are, but virgins usually don't have babies on earth, Gabriel. I don't know if you knew about that. It's a very practical surface question, but underneath the question, there's something much deeper. There's something that Mary is wrestling with here. She's just been given the best news that could ever be given, but it's so profoundly weird and fantastic and beyond all you know, imagination of what anyone could ever experience, she goes, this is incredible. And yet, how can I believe something so wild and fantastic could be a reality in my little life? And it's a question not of closed-minded doubt, but of open-minded, humble, honest doubt. And there are two different kinds of doubt that we have in our life, and we all experience these doubts But you can have closed-minded doubt, which is, frankly, no offense here, I wrestle with this too, but it is a narrow-minded, arrogant, naive kind of doubt where we go, I have it all figured out. I know what's right. And anything that comes to me has to go through the filter of what I already know to be right. And we surround ourselves with echo chambers of ourselves because we know what is right. And anything that you say or do will be always evaluated through the lens of what I already know to be right. And even when we approach God, we approach God with, you can only work in the way that I understand. That's a closed-minded doubt, but there's also open-minded doubt. And that's a a kind of doubt that looks up with a little bit of awe and a little bit of desperation and says, look, I want to believe God, but help my, what's the word? Unbelief, right? And that's what Mary does in this moment with open-minded doubt, which, by the way, is the kind of doubt that is open to finding true belief. And Mary is asking, how can all of the, the things that you're be, being, you know, being said right now about me ever come true in my life? How can I, just this simple girl in this little village who's planning to get married and have this ordinary life, like I'm not expecting anything, I'm not asking for anything, I just wanted to get married. I just wanted to be in my little village. How can I go from that to this blessed and favored woman that you're talking about. I don't understand. How do I go from ordinary to extraordinary or from natural to supernatural or from like the plan to the promises of God? How will these things be a reality in my life? I think the way that we can relate to this is many of you, if not most of you, have come to a moment where you quit, you know, 
on your own trying to earn or prove your way into the presence of God, but you begin to receive from him and you receive the good news of Jesus come to save. You received the promises of God for yourself, but like me, in days of our lives, we have this intellectual assent. I agree with the promises of God. I believe in them. And yet something deep within me is pained in the waiting of experiencing the fulfillment of all of these promises. And in the pain of the waiting, this hopelessness can begin to creep in in our lives. And we begin to wonder, will it ever be really like abundant life? You know, you said joy, undescribable joy. And we go, I, 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 let me be honest, I don't know what that feels like. And in those times, we, we go, my, my head and my doctrine agree with all the promises of God, and that's not in compromise right now, but my heart isn't always in line with my head. How many of you know that that's true, that our hearts aren't always in line with our head, that our doctrine can be in the right place, but our heart, our inner self, can be absolutely in, in turmoil? Yeah. And we go, I, I believe there's an end to all of the trouble, and Jesus will wipe away every tear. There'll be no more sickness and no more pain, and yet that just feels so far off from me. And I'm not saying that there will be no wonderful ending. I just can't, whether it's a year or a day or a thousand years, whatever, it seems so far from my experience. I can't experience peace that passes understanding. I wouldn't know what it looked like if it hit me. I can't experience joy, overflowing true joy just feels so far from me. And we wonder, how will these promises of God ever be a reality in my life? And there's a restless struggle in us because we are simultaneously a people who receive the gospel. And, and I hope that we're building our life upon that good news, but yet we're people who on the inside, day by day, have these things eating at us and this hopelessness that creeps in and we begin to raise our voice with Mary, whether consciously or subconsciously, we just go, God, how can these promises be for I'm only a human and I'm so messed up <laughs> and this world is so messed up. I don't want to say it, but I'm, I'm beginning to doubt that there's hope that it could ever be any, any different in my life. The angel answered, verse 35, and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Literal translation, the Holy Spirit will arrive in your life. He'll come into your life, and because he's there and he is God, the presence of God is with you, then you also get this. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, and that means to envelop you. It means like on a hot Texas summer day, and there's no cloud cover, and you are being beaten down by the sun, and suddenly you feel the cool and the shadow of a cloud overhead, and you look up and go, oh, isn't that nice, right? And it makes me think about how often in the Old Testament a cloud wasn't just an indication of the weather. You know this? Like when the people of God had exited Egypt and they are in the wilderness and they are lost and they're kind of desperate and they really don't know and they're caught in between slavery and promised land, and in that time, it says that God showed his presence with them as a cloud, a pillar of cloud by day. And they would follow the cloud and they were assured by this that God is with his people. It reminds me of Moses when he climbs up Sinai. It says the Lord descended in a cloud to meet with Moses. 
<laughs> this stuff. Isn't this fun? You look at the Old Testament and you see that there's uh, this moment in Second Chronicles where the temple is being dedicated. Listen to this. The house of the Lord was filled with a cloud and the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. It's, it's so cool to see how God throughout the Old Testament would, would signal to his people, you are favored and I am with you by presenting himself in this form. And now when this promise is given to Mary, the answer Gabriel gives is the Holy Spirit will come upon you and he will overshadow you like a cloud. And I, reflecting on it this week, I think the reality is a lot of us, our re religious traditions kind of broke down and failed us at some point. And they left us thinking that the Holy Spirit is like the conduit of the electrical power of God. You know? Some of us, we, we grew up in church our whole life. We went to Sunday school. We did all those things. And 20 years and 40 years later, we still think of the Holy Spirit as this conduit from heaven through which the electric power of God works in our lives. But even here in verse 35, we get this indication by the way that Gabriel speaks of the Holy Spirit, he's going to arrive and he will overshadow you just like the God Almighty in the Old Testament would overshadow his people in the wilderness. He would, he would fill the temple with his glory in this form that he's not some power, he's not an object, but he's a person. The Holy Spirit, the person of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. And I love this here because Gabriel is answering the question and the curiosity of Mary in a way that fits perfectly within the teaching of Jesus in the New Testament about the Holy Spirit. Remember when he's talking to his disciples in John 14, Jesus said, I'm going to ask the Father and he will give you another helper. And it means another of the same kind as me. And Jesus was what? Was he a, an object or was he a person? He's a person. He's the person of God. He's God in the flesh. He's Emmanuel. God come to be with us. He says, I'll ask the Father, and he's going to send another of the same kind as me, one who is God, one who is a person, one who is with you, that he may be with you forever. Verse 17, that is the spirit of truth. That's what I'm talking about, the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. And Mary asks this question, how can the promises of God be a reality in my life? And Gabriel says, well, it's like this. God, the Holy Spirit, will enter into your life and he will unleash his creative power in your life so that 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 is born through you will be very clearly of God because it comes from the life of God in you. For that reason, the holy child born from within you should be called the Son of God. Verse 37, for nothing is impossible with God. In response, we ask the question, so how does God do the impossible in our lives today? How does God do the, the promises that he says he will do, but we just don't see them, and it's hard to believe them? We believe with our heads, but our hearts are struggling. And the principle, the answer, I think, is exactly same, the same as the one that Mary got on that day. The Holy Spirit will come into your life, and he will overshadow you with his power. He will exert his creative energy in your life and the things that God has promised, the God, things that God has desired for you, what he wills for your life will come to be 
when you invite and allow the Holy Spirit to unleash that in your life. And I think our problem is, for so many of us, we're looking for God's promises to be fulfilled in ways that he has not promised. Does that make sense? A lot of the angst, a lot of the inner turmoil that we have is because we're looking for those promises that we've read about, that we've heard about, that we've sung about, to be fulfilled, but just in ways that God hasn't promised. It's like the song, looking for love in all the wrong places, right? And we are. We're looking for love. We're looking for joy. We're looking for peace. We're looking for all of these things in circumstances and in conditions and in situations in our life that we feel like would bring us some experience, that bring us at least close to the idea of what love or joy could be. If only I had this in my life, then I would feel like I'm, I'm okay. Maybe this book, maybe this course you know, we, maybe this idea, maybe this relationship, maybe a job, maybe a, a trip. Maybe if I could just remove some of the stress from my life, then I would begin to have that thing, that almost intangible, almost impossible thing, this deep sense of inner well-being that my soul was created for, that I've desired before I was conscious of it, that I read about and, and it says it's there for me. I just can't seem to get my hands on it. So if I can just keep grabbing at something, something will provide that for me. We're trying to get the fulfillment of the promises of God, but not in the way that he gives them. And I, I find that in my life, and maybe it's true of you too, there are moments in which, and hopefully we don't do this often, and hopefully we catch ourselves when we do, but we're even, it's like we're giving God a chance to prove himself to us. Like we're like, hey, God, I believe that you're good. I believe that you're love. I believe that your promises are sure. But I'm going to let you prove yourself now. And I'll show you how you can prove yourself. And maybe it's that we're a little afraid that God might fail us. And so we begin dictating to God, God, you are good and your promises endure forever. And I'm going to give you a chance now. I'm, I've got some bullet points here. And I'm going to let you prove yourself because some of us down here on earth are starting to doubt. People are starting to wonder about your goodness. So I'm going to give you a chance and I'll stand back and then you can begin to prove how good you actually are. I'm not saying you're not good, but now's your time to prove it. The fact is that God's promises are fulfilled in our lives only by the Holy Spirit overshadowing us or by filling us. That's how God fulfills his promises in our lives. It's not through outside circumstances. It's not through having our lives arranged in some order where the things that we have desired and the things that we've hoped for have been curated in such a way that we are pleased by them. But it's by the Holy Spirit who is within us, if we are Christians, filling us from within. And so that if you're a Christian, you understand this, that the Holy Spirit is already in there. He's living within you. He's a person. He's inside you. He is God. I know it sounds weird and wonderful, but it is. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Right now in this moment, the Holy Spirit is filling me. He's, in, he's inside of me. And it, it makes you wonder what should be different because of that. Did, did you know this? Did you know that if you're a Christian, if you have come to the end of yourself and you have just, you've surrendered to God and you belong to him, the Holy Spirit, who is God, is inside of you right now in this moment. And he wills to bring about the promises of God in your life. He desires to do that thing. He wants to bring sanctification and purification in your life. He wants to bring holiness and, and healing into your life. But did you know this? Did you know that you can quench the Holy Spirit? 
Yeah, 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. You can quench, you can pour a bucket of cold water on a fire that he's trying to set in your heart. Uh, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. He's a person. Ephesians 4.30 says, you can grieve, you can offend him. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You know, we studied Acts kind of long form early this year. We saw in Acts 7 when Stephen was preaching, he condemned resisting the Holy Spirit. You can resist the Holy Spirit working in your life. You can do these things. We can quench, we can grieve, and we can resist the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I wonder this. I've been asking myself this a lot lately. How much do you think about that? My quenching spirit? How often do you think about those things? Lord, am I grieving you, Holy Spirit? Am I grieving you today? Am I, am I ignoring you today? Am I resisting the things that you desire to bring about in my life today? How much time do you and I spend praying this way? We get up in the morning, and most of us, we just run into our day, but we get up, and if we say a prayer, it's, God, would you be with me today? Because i got so much stuff going on, and i got to make it through the day. Would you give me this? 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 How often do we wake up and say, Lord, I don't want to quench your spirit today. I want to I be in tune with the things that you want to do in my life, Holy Spirit. I want to have open eyes and open heart. I want to have an open life to the things that you wish today to do today because you're good. Would you fill me today? Would you fill me? Would you lead me through the day? Would you help me not to miss a turn throughout the entire day? Lord, I don't want to quench the fire that you set in my heart today. Would you just fan the flame of it today? You know, many days we just get up and we just start living. I do this all the time. I'm learning to ask this question. I'm learning to pray this prayer. But many days I just get up and I start living until the day is done. And then I get up the next day and I do it again. And days and weeks and months pass, seasons go by, and angst begins to grow up in my, my heart. Like, God, why are things still like this? How come I'm still fighting the same battle over and over again? How come I can't be happy? How come people don't like me? You know, all of these things. God, I'm struggling here. And then never do I for a moment stop and think, maybe it's me. Maybe, maybe it's because I've been quenching the Spirit and I have not opened my life to the things that He's really trying to do in my life in the middle of these circumstances in my life. And so I'm being overwhelmed and overcome by the brokenness of this world because I have nothing pushing back against it. I'll quench that Spirit. And we can refuse to allow the Holy Spirit to do the things in our life that He wills to do. And He wills to do these things. And we can just refuse to allow Him to do it. And because He's God, we know this throughout the Bible, God's patient, right? And the Holy Spirit's patient. And He will not force us to engage in the things that He wants to do inside of our lives. I think about, in our study of Acts, about Peter in Acts 10. And how it took years for him to follow the Holy Spirit into the home of a Gentile man named Cornelius like, and begin to share the gospel with Gentiles. It took years for Peter to get to the place where he would follow the Holy Spirit to share the gospel with Gentiles. And yet, the Holy Spirit never gave up on Peter. And when he did finally follow the Holy Spirit to that place, like Peter's shop was wrecked. Suddenly, he goes, I've been missing so much I didn't understand. And Cornelius' whole home came to know the Lord, and the gospel broke through into a, 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 for a way that now we could be a part of the family of God because finally this guy who was closed off, who was resisting, who was quenching the Spirit says, okay, fine, I'll go. And the Holy Spirit never gave up on Peter, and he doesn't give up on us. 
He's not giving up on you and me. And I think a lot of us, we live with sound doctrine. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Trinitarian God. I believe the Holy Spirit lives within me. And yet we forget that he's there and we ignore him. And we don't have much of a relationship with the Holy Spirit at all. And he's a person, not an object. He's a person and he's God. And he's, if you're a Christian, he's inside you. And the question is, what difference is it making? What difference should it be making that God Almighty himself is with you? It's inside you. And I, I, I'm going to... I'm going to take time unpacking that over the next year slowly and with lots of repetition because I think we have a lot of room to, a lot of opportunity to grow in a relationship with the Holy Spirit. But when it comes to being stuck in the middle like Mary, in, in between the place of, God, I received the good news. Oh, and isn't it good? And I'm not sure how the promises of God are, are supposed to be a reality in my life. The same answer that Mary received is the answer that there is for us. The Holy Spirit will enter into your life when you trust in Jesus. And when you invite him, he will unleash his creative power inside of you. And he will make the promises of God, the presence of God, and the power of God will overshadow you. And he will make the promises of God a reality in your experience. And he won't let it come from an outside source because it would never satisfy. It would never be enough and it would never last. It has to be of him so that every good thing that is born in your life would be born of him. And it would be clear that he is the almighty God and the only one who satisfies the longings of our heart. Some of you, I mean, with your life, and maybe it's been a year or years and years, you're going, God, I just want to be loved. I just want to, I want to love and be loved in a profound way. And did you know the fruit of the Spirit is love? As some of you, you've been dying to be happy. God, I just want to be happy. And not like for like a, a day or a moment, but I want deep and profound joy. I want to be a joyful person. Like, just let me ask, if you had the choice between being someone who made it through the day or being a joyful person, which one do you choose? If I had my choice, I'm choosing joyful person, right? And as you know, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Verse 25 says, If we live by the Spirit, in other words, if our souls have been made alive in Christ by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit or keep in step with the Holy Spirit who is God. Isn't that awesome? What's awesome to me is that Mary in this story, it's in answer to her honest doubt being, being raised up. Her asking the question, look, I want to believe, but how can this be, this fantastic thing? It's in response to that question that we get one of the greatest encouragements that we've been ever given as those who belong to God. We get the line in verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing. I can't tell you how many times I've looked at that verse throughout my life and how many times recently I've looked at that when I've thought about our church. And I don't mean like, like the logo on the front of the building, but I mean 
your lives as I pray for you and I think about you and I think about this verse, nothing will be impossible with God. And I think about this, consider this, how we wouldn't get verse 37 without Mary being open-handed and open-minded with the doubt that she had as a broken human, right? Gabriel said, you'll have a child and be the son of the Most High. And, and Mary could have said, cool, I believe, and then walk off. And a lot of us have done that. We go to the gospel, cool, I believe, and we go. But we have these hidden doubts, and we don't voice them aloud before the God who, who loves us, maybe because we're afraid that he can't handle our questions or he can't handle our insecurities. But Mary just goes, I believe, but how will these things be? Because I'm just me. And then we get, oh, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. God will be with you. He'll do all these things. Nothing is impossible with him. My question is, are your doubts honest doubts? And are they humble doubts? Are they closed-minded doubts that shut off any potential for belief? Or are they humble and honest doubts laid before a holy God that says, I want to believe your promises are sure. Would you just help me? Help me to know them and walk in them. Are you ready to rely on the Holy Spirit if you're a Christian who is within you, who desires more than you could conceive to bring about those promises in your life? Even if he brings you through some tough things to bring you into the experience of abundant life and overwhelming joy and that peace that passes understanding thing. I, I heard a quote recently and I've locked onto it. It's a little tangential, but, but it said, a smooth sea never makes a skilled sailor. You hear that? I love that. A smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. And it makes me want to like, follow the Holy Spirit through any sea that he wants to take me through. Because I realize that he has a better image of who Christ has made me to be as a new creation that I could ever conceive of. And I just want to trust him to make of me the thing that, that, that I'm made to be deep in Christ. I want to walk with him in that. I want to trust that his words are sure and that his power is perfect and that he's with me and that I can always follow him and he'll never leave me for a day. And I want to trust that all I must do is be focused on not, I mean, are you more afraid of disappointing people than you are quenching the spirit? <laughs> right? Are we more afraid of not having the life that we have planned for ourselves than, than on any particular day? Resisting the activity of the Holy Spirit in our life. Man, I want to open my life up to this relationship in a new and a powerful way and trust, trust that it's the presence and the power of God with me by His Spirit that makes the promises of God available in my life, makes them a reality in my life. I don't want you to dwell on that this morning. Um, We'll have some music begin to play in just a second. I want you to dwell on the fact that if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is a person, he's God, and he is inside of you. I want you to see this verse, put it on the screen. It's Romans 8.11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That says the same 
Spirit that brought Jesus into the earth miraculously, as we read it in Luke 1, 26-38, the same Spirit that sustained Jesus through all of the difficulties and all of the persecution and crucifixion, who sustained Jesus through temptation and all of that, the same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is inside of you. And he can do the same things in your life that he did in Christ's life. He can sustain you through every temptation. He can help you to overcome every persecution and every evil. And he can give life to you, abundant life to you. He can make you to walk in the abundant life that Christ bought for you. And I just want you to meditate on that this morning. Just think about that this morning. Just for a moment in in quiet, just consider what should it mean for my life? in this mysterious, wonderful, and weird way that God the Holy Spirit lives within me. What should that mean for you? Take a moment and consider that.